Well, good morning. My name is Chad, and I serve as one of the Campus Life Pastors here, and super grateful to have you with us at LifePoint. Today, we are finishing our series in the Psalms that we're calling Playlist, and the main idea of this series that we've been exploring is that God writes his lyrics of our souls in the Psalms. A couple of weeks ago, I was just finishing up exercising and uh, went to bend over, and my back locked up completely. Uh, right in the middle of my back, just locked up and I couldn't breathe, nor could I move. And I, in that moment, I had a couple of fears. The first fear was, am I ever going to be able to get out of here? Because I, I, couldn't, I couldn't breathe, I couldn't move. I was scared to death. But another fear I had was, am I going to have to ask another grown man to come and help get me dressed? Because I only had my underwear on and one sock. And I didn't want to have to go through that. I don't know if you've ever been through anything like that. I hope you've never been through anything like that. But we've all been through times in our life where we feel, feel locked up and kind of captured and immovable by fear and anxiety. And today we're going to look at that from Psalm 27. We're going to look at a psalmist who talks about this kind of fear. And this psalm really raises three questions for us about our relationship with God. And the first question that I want us to explore together is, what if you can say anything to God? What if you could say anything to God? Let's look at it here in Psalm 27, verses 7 through 9. It says, Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, Seek my face. My heart says to you, Your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. This psalm shows us that we can say anything to God. And in fact, all of the psalms tell us that we can say anything to God. They're filled with writers who are expressing all kinds of feelings with God himself. Our psalm expresses fear, it expresses concern, it expresses uh, fear of enemies from without. Uh, it has all kinds of things that this psalmist is facing and he brings them all to God. He asks for grace, he asks for answers. He asks God not to reject him. He praises God for being his light and his salvation. He thanks God for taking away his fear. All these things he is saying to God. I think it's helpful for us to see that this is what the Psalms primarily are. They're not a theology book. It's not a systematic theology book about God, although the Psalms do teach us things about God. But it's primarily written to show us human experience, to show us what what people were experiencing in their lives of faith and what they were going through and and what their prayer life was like and the songs that they sang to God. And, And it shows us that they're not too far from us. Uh, It shows us, these psalms show us that we can share our hearts with God and we should share our hearts with God because it unburdens us and it doesn't burden him. You can share anything with God. If we're honest with ourselves, we think, you know what? I, I need to clean myself up before I come to God. Many of us believe that. Many of us think, you know, I've, I've got to clean myself up. I've got, to, I've got to get right. I've got to change some behavior. Then I can come to God. I've got to adjust my attitude, then I can come to God. I've got to, I've got to kind of leave my baggage at the door. But I think Psalm 27 and the Psalms in general show us, no, bring your baggage to God. Bring your baggage with you. He can handle it. He wants to, to hear it. You can say anything to God. You want to clean yourself up before you come to him. 
just come to him. Say what you need to say to him. And God really is the best listener. I think that's what the Psalms show us, that God, God wants to listen to us. He wants to hear what we have to say. Um, I mean, l listen to Psalm 20, or 137. If this guy can say this, I'm pretty sure we can say anything to God. Psalm 137 says, O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed, blessed shall be the one who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rocks. I mean, if he can say that to God, what can't we say? I think sometimes when we, we say these kind of things, we're like, man, I hope God doesn't strike me down with lightning. But if God didn't strike this guy down with lightning, then... I think there's good hope for us, right? I mean, sometimes I think maybe somebody should check on this guy. I mean, geez, talking about throwing babies down on, on rocks, it's really, really harsh language. But this is what he's expressing about the enemies of God and the enemies of the people of God. He's expressing this fear and this anger and this rage. What if you can bring all that to God? What if you can say those things to him? That's really a question that this psalm raises and I think the answer is yeah you can you can say anything to God he's a great listener I think I think this psalm also raises this question of yeah but what it what, what do you do if it feels like God isn't listening I mean the psalm shows us that God is a good listener but what do you what do you do when it doesn't feel like he's listening it's a good question. You can see the psalmist kind of wrestling with this in verses seven through nine that we read earlier. He says, hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. He's asking God to hear him. Then he says, be gracious to me and answer me. He's asking for an answer from God. And then he says, I'm seeking you. Don't hide your face from me. Cast me not away and forsake me not, O God of my salvation. So you can see that he's wrestled with this idea of, God, I need to hear from you. I need you to hear me and I need to hear from you. Are you listening? I think we all go through seasons where we wonder if God is listening. So what do you do? What do you do when you're, when you're not sure God is listening? Well, first of all, I would encourage us to remember that the Bible seems to encourage us that he is. The Bible encourages us that God is listening to us. It may not feel like it, it may not seem like it. We not, may not be getting the answers that we want from God, but it doesn't mean he's not listening. All throughout the scripture, we're encouraged that he's listening to us. First Peter says, cast all your care upon him because he cares for you. God is our father. He is inviting us into a relationship with him. Why? Because he wants to listen to us. And he wants to have a relationship with us. He wants to communicate with us. So remember that the Bible encourages us that he is listening. But another uh, encouragement for you, when it feels like God isn't listening, remember that he may be speaking in ways that we're not listening. Remember that God may be speaking in ways that we're not listening. You know, sometimes I think we get focused on Bible reading and prayer as the way that God speaks to us. And I do think that's a primary way that God speaks to us for sure. God speaks through the Bible. God speaks through prayer. Uh, undoubtedly, he does those things. But I think it's important for us to remember too that God speaks to us in other ways. One of the primary ways I've learned that God speaks to me is through daily Christian friendship, through Christian community. One of our core values here at LifePoint is authentic community. We talk about it all the time that building relationships with other Christians is formational to our relationship with God. And because of that, we have life groups and life groups are just smaller groups of people who get together to study the Bible and walk with each other in their Christian 
journey. And right now we're about to launch a new term of life groups. So this is great timing for you to get connected to a life group. And so we'd invite you to do that. It's really easy to do that. Uh, we have an online catalog. It's in the message notes today, a link to it where you can click on it. It'll take you to our website and there's a searchable kind of customizable, filterable uh, catalog there where you can search the right life group for you. You can search via uh, night of the week. You can search location and it'll filter it down for you. It's a great time to get involved in a life group as they are launching term two, as we're launching term two just this next week. Um, so remember, that's a great place to start by hearing from God through Christian friendship. Remember that God may be speaking to us in ways that we're just not listening. So remember that the Bible encourages us that he is listening to us. Remember that he speaks to us in ways that we might not be listening. And then there's a third encouragement I'd give you if it feels like God's not listening. I would just say, remember his goodness and wait for him. Remember his goodness and wait for him. Verse 13 of Psalm 27 says these words. I believe that, the, that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord and be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Remember his goodness. Remember that God has been good to you in the past. Remember all the ways that he has listened to you in the past. And remember that like we sing often the song around here, his goodness is running after you. It's pursuing you. He's your father. He loves you. Remember his goodness and then wait for him. Be patient. He's worth the wait. So first question that this Psalm raises for us is what if you can say anything to God? I believe the answer is yes. But there's another question that this Psalm raises here in Psalm 27, and that is, what if you can feel anything with God? What if you can feel anything with God? Look at Psalm 27, one through three. It says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh and my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army be encamped against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. Not only can you say anything to God, but I think we can feel anything with God. This Psalm has a lot to say about human emotion. In fact, the Psalms show us the range of human emotion. And in this Psalm 27, we primarily see a lot about fear, how the psalmist experienced fear. And I think we experience fear. Fear is normal human experience. Although fear is normal, I also think the Psalm teaches us it doesn't have to be debilitating. Um, and it tells us a lot about fear. And we want to get to that in just a minute. But I want to talk about emotion in general before we move on to talk about fear. Emotions, I think for us, we need to see they're, they're good. They're really good. Um, and I think if you've been around the church for, for any length of time, you've probably heard some messaging around emotions being negative, but I think they're good. I think God created us with emotions. But sometimes the message of the church is don't trust your emotions, don't feel emotions are bad, they'll lead you astray. And while I would agree that if you, if you go with every whim of every emotion that you feel, your life is gonna be full of ups and downs. And it may even be chaotic at times. I, I agree with that. 
But I think we need to lean into our emotions. I think we need to feel our emotions and, and remember that they are, they're good, that God gave them to us. See, I believe that we were created in the image of God and, and God is an emotional God. Because we were created in his image, we have emotions too. Some people think, might think, hey, emotions are a product of the fall, right? But no, I think we were created this way. We were created in God's image and our emotional life is rooted in him. You see all over the Bible that God's emotional. He feels pain, he feels anger, he feels loss, he feels joy. And we were created in his image. So guess what we feel too. And the Psalms show us that it's not wrong to feel. It's what we do with our emotions that matters most. Remember too, joy and emotion is a fruit of the spirit. And let's not forget our savior, Jesus himself was a deep feeler. Jesus often was experiencing anger and experiencing sadness. The shortest verse in the Bible is Jesus wept. Jesus felt deeply. He's the truest expression of humanity that we have, and yet he was deeply emotional. So I think we need to remember that emotions are good. Emotions to me, a good example of what, how emotions help us is they're, they're kind of like dashboard lights. Uh, I have a 2009 Dodge Ram pickup truck that's had a dashboard light on it the whole six years that I've had it. Uh, it's a TPS light, TPMS light. It's a tire pressure monitoring system light that comes on because the, the tire pressure is irregular in the tires. And I went to get it fixed after I got the truck six years ago. And they told me, oh yeah, you need to replace all of the sensors in each of your tires. That's going to be $120 per tire. And I said, you know what? I think I'm good. I think I'll just deal with not having the monitoring system on my tires. And so that's what I decided to do. I said, I'm not, I'm not going to have that. Uh, but, but every day that's meant for six years, as soon as I start up the car, the light comes on and blinks at me and, it, and the, the dinging noise happens. And I just, I've gotten so used to it, I don't even notice it anymore. I don't even realize it's there. I think for a lot of us, that's, that's emotions. Emotions are like warning lights on our dashboard that come up and say, hey, something needs attention here. Hey, something, something is not right here. You're feeling emotional because something is going on underneath the hood something is going on underneath that needs some attention needs some care that needs some shepherding here hey something needs your time that's what emotions are but many of us have gotten so good at ignoring them kind of like i've gotten used to ignoring my dashboard light when we think about emotions i think it helps us to look at maybe one emotion as an example of how we kind of deal with our emotions in general. One, the best one that I know of is, is anger. Anger gets a bad rap. In fact, I grew up thinking that anger, all anger was, was a sin, but then I started reading the Bible and started saying that, no, I, I don't think anger is a sin at all. I've always felt like anger was off limits until I saw Jesus being angry. <laughs> Jesus, we, we just said was deeply emotional, but one of those was anger. He came into the temple and he cleared the people out of the temple who were selling things and taking advantage, financial advantage of people instead of leading people to worship God. He, he ran them out. And I think oftentimes we think, how did Jesus do that? Like, did he just come in there and go, there's that, there's that, you out of here? No, he was angry. In fact, one of the versions of the story says that he made a whip and went kind of all Indiana Jones on the people. 
running them out because why? He was angry about the injustice that was going on in the temple. Jesus himself felt anger. Ephesians 4 tells us to be angry and sin not. That's a command. It says, be angry, but do not sin. So there's a way to be angry and there's a way to do it without sin. So I think it's helpful for us to think about anger because it, it just gives us a template to look, look through and acknowledge and evaluate the other emotions in our life. One of the best ways I've heard the Christian ethic around anger is from a pastor, Tim Keller. He says the biblical ethic around anger isn't no anger or blow anger, but instead it's slow anger. So it's not no anger. In fact, we just saw that, right? The Bible says, be angry. Anger is good. If you've never been angry, then you don't love anything. And it's not blow anger where we kind of blow up and do whatever we want, but it's slow anger. I think most of us know what blow anger looks like. We know what it means to kind of be overwhelmed with emotion and, and kind of merge with our emotions. Uh, Psalm 69 gives us an example of this. It says, let their table before them become a snare. And when they are at peace, let it become a trap. Let their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and make their loins tremble continually. <laughs> Look, you know someone's angry when they're cursing somebody else's loins, right? That's just, that's just harsh. And, and yet this is a good example of this blow anger where anger just uh, erupts into us and we're controlled by it and we merge with it and it just, it kind of comes out and gets all over the place. Um, that's that blow anger. That's not God's heart for us. God's heart for us is not to explode in anger, to be controlled by our anger. No, he says, be slow to anger in James 1.19. So, so it's not blow anger, but it's also not no anger. It's not stuffing our emotions. It's not shutting our emotions down. It's not, um, it's not stuffing them where we don't have to feel or don't have to engage. It's not saying, you know what, I just prefer to worship God more intellectually. No, no, no. No, we, we are encouraged to feel our emotions. And there's, there's danger in shutting down our emotional life. A good, good example of this is one of my favorite movies of all time. It's actually a kid's movie. It's called Inside Out. And in the movie Inside Out, we follow the story of a preteen girl named Riley who moved from the Midwest to San Francisco. And naturally, that move was disturbing to her world. We get a picture of her inside world and her emotional life uh, through, through the, throughout the movie. And the main emotion that kind of leads her internal world is joy, but joy is also um, helped by fear and disgust and anger uh, along the way, and even sadness. And joy is trying to kind of order Riley's world in this transition and keep everything positive and everything happy, but things start to go a little bit wrong when sadness starts to feel like she wants to get involved more in the leadership in Riley's emotional life. Sadness is, is, is not sure what's going on, but she just feels like she's drawn into being more involved in Riley's life. And Joy can't handle that. Joy's, Joy's everything's got to be positive. Everything's got to be happy. And so Joy takes sadness and draws a circle for her and tells sadness to stay in the circle and do not leave until they get through this move and this transition. But sadness can't do it. She comes out of the circle and she starts touching core memories and key memories of, of Riley and it starts making Riley 
sad. And joy fights, fights sadness on this until kind of Riley's whole internal world comes crashing down. But throughout that process of kind of Riley's world coming crashing down, joy comes to discover how important sadness is in the process of Riley getting back to joy. How important sadness is in the process of this transition for Riley. She sees a memory, Joy sees a memory where Riley had just missed the winning shot for her hockey team and she was super sad about it. She had missed the shot that the team had lost the game and Riley was, was depressed about it. And in her sadness, and through her display of sadness, her teammates rallied around her, supported her, and celebrated her as if she had made the shot, and that brought joy back to her heart. And through that process, as joy is watching this happen, she realizes that sadness is the key to getting Riley back to joy. So she lets sadness have the reins, and sadness starts kind of working with all the memories and the emotions and, and that sadness leads Riley to reach out to the people who are most important into her life for support at the time. And in that process, she gets her joy back. She gets peace back. I think it's a great example of what happens when we try to stuff our emotions or draw a circle for sadness in our life or any other emotion in our life, any other difficult emotion, we kind of marginalize it and push it to the side. Things start to fall apart for us. And I think many of us have done that. We've kind of stuffed our emotions or said, I'm just not gonna deal with these more negative, difficult emotions. I just only wanna deal with the positive ones. But Brene Brown tells us, and it's so insightful, she says that if we limit our ability to feel our more difficult emotions, we also limit our ability to feel the more positive emotions. So if we limit our negative emotions, we'll limit our ability to experience joy and gladness and peace, all of those more desirable emotions. So we can't stuff it. We can't have no anger. We can't have no emotion. We can't have blow anger where we just do whatever we want, whenever we want. No, the answer is be slow to anger. Shepherd our emotions well. So to recap, Psalm 27 shows us that we shouldn't stuff our emotions or let them run wild, but we should filter our emotions through God. One of the great things about God is you don't have to filter your emotions with God but we should filter our emotions through God. You don't have to filter them with God. You can feel anything you want with him. You can say anything you want to him. We shouldn't filter them with God, but we should definitely filter them through God. We should shepherd them well, be slow to anger, be slow to fill in the gap emotion. We should allow ourselves to feel. I think these Psalms being reminded that they're songs helps us realize that we should pray our feelings, we should sing our feelings. And I think these songs kind of help us do that. Songs in general are powerful to help us get to more the feeling side of things. I think a lot of American Christianity has been shaped by intellectual processes of just thinking our way through our faith instead of feeling. In fact, you often hear someone who's been to, maybe been to a church service or a kid who's been to a, a, a kid's environment and you'll say, what did you learn today? <laughs> you know, it's all intellectual instead of what did you feel today? But there's a big difference in knowing that God loves you and feeling loved by God. It's a big difference. It's a big difference in knowing that God loves you and knowing and feeling and experiencing 
his love of you. Songs help us do that. They help us get to the feeling side of things. I mean, there's a big difference between saying the words, don't stop believing, hold on to that feeling. And there's, there's a big difference between that and saying, don't stop believing. Sing it if you know it. Hold on to that feeling, right? Those are two, those are two very separate things. There's a lot more feeling in the song. There's a big difference in saying, I will always love you and hearing the words like this. You can feel the emotion there, right? You can feel how strong that is. Some of you thought I was gonna sing Whitney. I'm not, I'm not gonna sing Whitney, right? She, she's the goat. Uh, but there's a big difference in, in, in speaking something and then singing something. And what is it? It's, it's the feeling. It's feeling our faith. What if you can feel anything with God. So a couple of questions we've seen so far that this psalm raises. What if you can say anything to God? What if you can feel anything with God? And then last of all, the last question that this psalm raises for us is what if you don't have to be afraid of God anymore? What if you don't have to be afraid of God anymore? Look at Psalm 27.1. Here's what it says. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When you think about being afraid of God, I think its origins are in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve sinned against God, and what did they do? They hid from him. They ran from him. And God comes looking for them. But he doesn't come looking for them like we think he would. God doesn't come after them and say, where are you? You should hide from me. You should be afraid of me. Now, he doesn't say that, but that's what we kind of expect him to say. He's looking for them, not because he is angry with them, wants them to be afraid of him. He's coming after them because he wants relationship with them. And we were created to love God, not be afraid of him. And yet when we sin, we, we run from him, we fear him. And I think this is the way some of us think that our relationship with God is supposed to be. But Psalm 27 shows us that we don't have to fear anyone or anything. If God is our light and our salvation and the stronghold of our life, what could we possibly have to fear? And I think God himself is included in the whom. God himself is included and we don't have to fear. Verse five says that God hides us in his shelter. We don't hide from God, God hides us. He guards us, he shelters us. So we don't need to fear him. We have no one to fear, including him. Because God, because of God, we don't have to fear God. Because of Jesus, we, we don't have to fear. Fear's been replaced with love. But don't just look, don't just take my word for it. Listen to what 1 John 4, 8 says. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. There's no fear in love, but perfect love, the love of God has cast out fear. Look at Romans 8, uh, verses 31 through 39. It says, what shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Do you hear that? God is for us. Who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us. How will he will not also with us, with him, get graciously give us all things. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? If God, it's God who justifies, who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. 
Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, and I might insert, or fear? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep being slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. What do we have to fear? We don't have to fear anything. We don't have to fear anything because of God. Nothing can separate us from the love of God because of Jesus. But you might be saying, okay, that, but that's the New Testament, right? Those are New Testament verses. If you look at the Old Testament, God seems pretty scary. I mean, in the Old Testament, you have God destroying the world with floods. You have God commanding the destruction of armies and peoples. He appears in fire and lightning. He rescues with plagues and he opens up the earth to swallow people. True story, you, sh you should go check that out. <laughs> seems pretty scary to me, right? So how can we be confident that we don't have to be afraid of God anymore when he seems pretty scary? Well, we get a glimpse of it here in Psalm 27, whom shall I fear? Tells us we don't have anyone to fear, including God, but really the ultimate expression of this, why I can be so confident that we don't have to be afraid of God anymore is because of Jesus. It's because of Jesus. Now, listen, don't hear me saying that we shouldn't have reverence for God, for God. We absolutely should. Jesus taught us how to pray. He said, we should pray, hallowed be thy name. Reverence be to be to your name. We should say that. We should, we should give God reverence. But I'm talking about you don't, have to be, you don't have to be like afraid that he's out to get you anymore. And I think Jesus shows us this. John 1.18 says, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, that's Jesus. He has made him known. So do you wanna know what God is like? God is like Jesus. You wanna know uh, the ultimate representation of what God is like? It's Jesus. You wanna know who has the final say on what God is like? It's Jesus. Another verse, Hebrews 1.3, he is, Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact imprint of his nature. All right, so what, what does this mean? It means that we don't have to fear God because of Jesus. And that's such a powerful thought because if God is the ultimate being in the universe and, and, and if we don't have to be afraid of him, man, do you see what that does for any other lesser fears in our lives? If we don't have to fear God, then that means we really don't have anything else to fear in this life. Now, now I'm not saying, look, if you accept Jesus or you come to faith that you're never gonna have any fear, never gonna wrestle with fear. I'm not saying that. Life happens. Life is fearful. You're gonna have some anxiety in your life. Difficult things are gonna happen. I can promise you that. I can promise you that. But what I'm saying is, is if we don't have to be afraid of God anymore, it changes how we approach every one of those lesser fears in our life. It changes how we deal with the anxiety in our life. It changes how we deal with every emotion in our life. It changes everything, it changes everything. If we don't have to be afraid of God anymore. And you can see this, Psalm 27, this guy has fears. He has enemies without, fears within. He's got a lot of adversity, but he also has a lot of hope in the midst of that. Why? Because he knows that he doesn't have to be afraid of God anymore.
It's a powerful truth. I've shared this story with you before, but I want to read it to you um, again because I, I think it's one of my favorite stories um, from one of my favorite authors. And it speaks so clearly to what this fear of God and, and not being afraid of God anymore really does for us that I just I want to share with you. Here's what he says. Years ago, I had a terrible nightmare. He says, a nightmare was a really violent nightmare in which every member of my family was lost. Every member was killed. And I woke up and I remember panting and, and panicked and suddenly realized, though, that it was just a dream and that I actually had them back. It was something like 3 a.m. in the morning. I'd said goodnight to them. I, I'd loved them before the nightmare, but I loved them even more after the nightmare. And when I, when I woke up and I, and I thought they, I had lost them, I thought they were all gone, and then suddenly I had them back. You know what I wanted to do? I wanted to go into their rooms and jump on them and hug them and kiss them. <laughs> but it was 3 a.m. and they'd say, why are you, what's the matter with you? You know, what are you doing? So I didn't do that. But here's the point. The joy in finding them safe and sound when I woke up wasn't a joy in spite of the nightmare. No, it was enhanced by the nightmare. Do you understand? It was because of the nightmare that my joy was 10 times, 100 times intensified. As it were, the nightmare was taken up into the joy of having them back. The fear made the joy greater. Now, do you know what this means? If eternity is a compensation for all the stuff you've always wanted, but you're never going to have, that's one thing. But if the new heavens and the new earth is our hope, and it is, and therefore we have the restoration of everything you've always wanted in your future, the new heavens and the new earth will make every horrible thing you've ever experienced nothing but a nightmare. It will turn the worst thing that you've ever, that's ever happened to you into a nightmare. And as a nightmare, it will do nothing but infinitely, correspondingly increase your future joy and glory in a way that it wouldn't have been increased if you'd never suffered it. And that is the ultimate defeat of evil. To say that evil is an illusion or we're going to be compensated for it is one thing. But to say that evil in the end will be the servant of your joy, that's astounding. The Christian hope doesn't just compensate you for suffering. It undoes it. It absolutely undoes it. Ultimately, Jesus turns fear into joy. Ultimately, your fear becomes the servant of your joy. Ultimately, we have nothing to fear. We, and all of this is because of Jesus. I love how the Gospels describe Jesus. I think it's a great picture for why we don't have to be afraid of God anymore. Jesus is described as the good shepherd. And the good shepherd protects his children from the wolf. He, wolves. He doesn't bring the wolves in. He doesn't bring the danger. He protects from the danger. Jesus describes himself as the gate. He is the gate to the sheep pen. In the first century, shepherds didn't have gates to the sheep pens. They laid down in front of the gate. Their bodies were the gate. They would bring all the sheep into the pen and they would lay down in front of the opening and they would protect from the, uh, from the wolves and from the dangers with their own body. They would protect the sheep. So Jesus isn't bringing the danger. He's protecting us from the danger. He is the gate. But he's not just the gate. Jesus is the bread of life. 
We don't have to be afraid of the bread of life who came to fill us and satisfy us and he won't leave us lacking. Jesus describes himself as the resurrection and life. We don't have to fear the resurrection and the life. He came to give us new life. He came to make us new. He came not to condemn the world, but to save the world through himself. We don't have to fear the resurrection and the life. Jesus is the light of the world. We don't have to fear the light of the world. He didn't come to bring darkness. He came to light it up. Because of Jesus, he turns fear into joy. Do you have this kind of relationship with him? Psalm 27 raises three questions. First of all, what if we can say anything to God? What if we can just come to God just like we are and say anything to him and he hears us? Secondly, second question, what if we can feel anything with God? And last of all, what if we don't have to be afraid of God anymore? Let's pray together. God, we're thankful that you are our light and our salvation. And because of you, we have nothing left to fear. God, we're thankful that because we don't have to fear the one who is the ultimate ruler and reigner and, and king and ultimate being in the universe, because we don't have you to fear, God, what really do we have to fear of any of the lesser fears that we deal with in life. God, thank you that we have an ultimate hope because of Jesus, who doesn't just take away our fears, but he turns our fears into a servant of our joy. Thank you so much that we know him and we have him as our savior. We pray all this in his name, amen.